Hi, and welcome back to Mass Inc. Insights, the second in a series of conversations with our talented team of journalists and researchers. Today, we turn to the education funding debate, and we'll also give you a preview of a new Mass Inc. report examining the state of our democracy. I'm Lauren Grogan, the president of Mass Inc. and the publisher of Commonwealth. With me today are Michael Jonas, the executive editor of Commonwealth Magazine, Juana Matias, Mass Inc. COO, and Ben Foreman, Director of Research and the Gateway Cities Innovation Institute. We've just been talking about the transportation funding debate, and the legislature is closing in on the approval of a massive education funding bill. Michael, could you help unpack this debate around new funding for the districts and accountability? Sure. So we are, uh, since it's football season, I'd say getting near the goal line on this one, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, As people who followed it may have noticed, the legislature has been at this for uh, at least four years, going back to a time when a big state commission tried to look at the education funding formula that dates back to the 1993 education reform law and found that it had really degraded over years and was not keeping pace with real cost to districts. So they recommended an update to that formula. It's taken some time. As we know, the wheels can turn a little slowly on Beacon Hill. But the lawmakers are now getting close to an agreement on how to revamp that funding formula. The bill they are considering would pump uh, $1.5 billion of new aid to districts uh, to be phased in over seven years. And they're coupling that with a few measures on the accountability side to hold districts accountable for how that money gets spent. It's now there are differences between the House and Senate versions, and that's where we stand now with, with the uh, conference committee just named to try to iron out those differences. Ben, you've been doing a lot of research on accountability. Could you comment on where you think we should be going? It's interesting because we've been looking at accountability for several years, and part of the reason I think we spend so much time on that topic, as much fun as it is, is because there wasn't a lot of funding in the communities to grease the wheels to get innovations and learning happening. I think Gateway Cities were really struggling just to keep the lights on. And, you know, the Federal Education Act was reauthorized. They changed the accountability in the federal law. So we looked at federal accountability, and that led us to look at state accountability. And that actually raised a lot of timely questions for thinking about how you deploy new resources to make sure they get spent well. And we really focused on making sure that communities have the capacity internally to plan strategically and hold themselves accountable for putting money out in ways that provide the best results for students. And we thought that was really important because communities are so different. The needs of their students are so different. So it's really hard for the state or the federal government, for that matter, to tell them what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. There needs to be a balanced relationship where both the state and local governing bodies are looking at what's happening and seeing if it's delivering results. Michael, can you comment on where the governor and the legislature are on accountability? Well, the governor's uh, offered a few comments here and there, but he's largely sort of been been sitting back and waiting to see what the legislature does with this bill. He has commented that he favors a greater degree of accountability and a role for the state in overseeing this new spending. He hasn't gone into a lot of detail beyond that. The real difference now is between the House and the Senate. And um, I mean, to sort of simplify it, the, the Senate 
uh, amended the bill that came out uh, that was sort of a joint product of, of the House and the Senate. It had the backing of the Senate president and the House speaker. It had both the Senate and House chairs of education you know, at the table endorsing the bill. But once it went to the Senate, there was an amendment passed that basically sort of pulled back the uh, oversight authority that the state would have over how these new monies are spent. Uh, that has now become the sticking point between the two branches. The House is sort of uh, uh, basically insisting or saying we ought to go back to the, the version that we thought we'd all agreed on. And that the other further point they're trying to make is that the, the accountability measures that are in this bill are not draconian by any measure. They're, they're, there's no sweeping new mandates or testing regime or, or any of the sorts of things that people might associate with the original ed reform law that put in place a lot of those measures. Um, and so that's sort of now where, where this battle is being fought. And it's interesting that Ben talks about the work that he's done on local accountability because that has become kind of introduced into the, into the debate here with folks in the Senate, some people from teachers unions saying we want to kind of put all the you know, all the power in the hands of local officials. They know best what to do. And they've kind of piggybacked, in fact, some of them on some of the work that, that has been done here at Mass Inc. on local accountability. I mean, I think the issue is not do you want to have a voice and do you want local officials to take some stake in, in setting goals for the district that may be tailored to what they need. The question, I think, is can you do that? And But do you also preserve this sort of role of the state sort of backstopping what gets done, and that's still, again, sort of where the where where the debate is now is now uh, resting. I think Senator Jalen, who's really been leading the effort in the Senate around accountability, mentioned our research on local accountability in in the amendment that she offered. Right, and I think she wasn't quite uh, where we are on this issue in terms of the state not having oversight of the strategic plans that are going to describe how the resources will be invested in the returns that their the communities are seeking to, to get with the new funding and the new educational models they're investing in. You know, we, we believe that there should be a balance and the state should play a role looking over the shoulder of communities. And I think many in the House understand that, that that is helpful, that at this point the governance structures locally are pretty weak. They need to be improved, and, and, it, uh, and there's some advantage to having some state involvement there, I think. You know, Senator Jalen's leadership has been really important, particularly in the idea of innovative educational assessments, which is the notion that we can't do everything with state standardized tests, and that if communities want to do things that are new and different, they're going to have to come up with the measures to determine whether they're making progress on those things. And that's the idea of innovative educational assessments, that there's new ways of assessing student learning, um, that the, those can be done by groups of districts working together, testing those new ways, seeing if they work and they're valid. Uh, and, and she's provided a lot of leadership there, and I think that is important to the future and, and folds into this conversation in interesting ways. We've been talking a lot about accountability, but uh, Ben, you just mentioned investment in new resources. That's likely what students and families out in our gateway cities are most interested in. And Juan, I'd like to ask you, what do you see in the districts that's working for our students and families? 
Yeah, Lauren, early college programs across our Commonwealth are yielding measurable student outcomes. Our first research report, Investing in Early College, Our Most Promising Pathway, detailed that early college doubles college completion for disadvantaged students. It provides a timely response to our Commonwealth's critical workforce needs, and it also provides a hefty return on public investments. For every public dollar invested, studies show that there is a $15 return on investment. And what makes early college so effective is that it introduces high school students early on to college-level instruction with structured support, allowing students to earn substantial amounts of credits for free, while positioning more low-income youth to move through higher education into careers that offer good wages and stable middle-class lifestyles. And here at Mass Inc., Ben and I are excited to release the second phase of our early college work. Our new research will further the policy dialogue around how we can develop sustainable and transformational um, expansion of early college programs across our Commonwealth. We currently have 17 programs uh, that have earned this distinction, and 22 more have applied. And as Michael was mentioning, our legislature is currently in the midst of finalizing their Chapter 70 uh, funding debate, and this presents a momentous opportunity to really rethink as a state of how we invest in education to better prepare disadvantaged students and maximize the impact of this additional funding. And we strongly believe here at Mass Inc. that early college is a tool that should be part of that discussion. Ben or Michael, is there any evidence that the legislature is going to include additional funding for early college? Well, I I think the legislature's weighed in on this and they've given communities a, a very nice sum of resources to use as they see fit. And so I think everybody's going to be looking to them to deploy those resources and evidence-based models that are going to get results for students. And early college is probably going to be high on their lists of things that they want to try and invest in. Well, we'll look forward to your next report on early college high school, but I know that um, you have also been working on another piece of important research Um, and are planning on releasing next week a report that examines the health of our state's democratic processes and institutions. Can you give us a little sneak preview of that research and what you've found? We've been working on that research for a while because we've seen the challenges state and local governments need to tackle have gotten more and more difficult, and they seem to come at an increasingly faster clip. Every innovation introduces some new problem, whether it's regulating scooters on sidewalks or thinking about uh, Airbnbs and people renting out their homes and so forth. Uh, All that disruption is a lot of work for state and local governments, and we need as much new thought uh, and participation as possible to figure out the solutions to those challenges. And yet it seems like people have become more and more detached from their local government and increasingly paying attention to, to cable TV news and what's happening in Washington. Uh, which isn't really helping. In fact, state and local government have more to shoulder because of all this function in in Washington. So this report looks at the health of our democratic institutions in order to increase engagement and make sure that we're getting all the contributions possible from all of our people. Yeah, and we're looking forward to joining the Boston Foundation on November 13th between 8.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. to have a lively discussion of what this report uh, illustrates. It's, you know, not just about how do we increase voter engagement, but how do we hold our government more accountable? How do we uh, ensure that they are transparent? And how do we, you know, make sure that our democracy is representative and inclusive of the people that make up this commonwealth? So it's going to be a great event, and we encourage you uh, to join us on November 13th. 
Ben, I understand that one of the things the report outlines is, as a threat to our democracy, is the gutting out of local newsrooms uh, in our gateway cities and elsewhere, and the State House Bureau. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you found in your research? We found that as local news declines, there's a direct connection between people participating less in state and local politics uh, and being aware of what's happening in, in state and local government. We also found that as the local newspapers and regional newspapers get bought up by national conglomerates and they're all merging and combining to try and stay afloat, they end up really cutting local news coverage and replacing it often with highly partisan uh, national politics. Michael, you've been in the business a long time. Could you speak a little more to that point and some of the ways Commonwealth has tried to fill the void? Sure. Well, I mean, as, as Ben alluded to, and, 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 I, and I think everyone who sort of is an avid news consumer would, would recognize there really has been this contraction in, uh, in the local media. We certainly see it in terms of the coverage that we see as we're reading papers around the state in coverage of local communities and also in the presence of, of those papers at the state house where they can bring back to their communities news that's really important in that region to what's happening at the state house. You know, we've been trying uh, as best we can at Commonwealth to to fill in some of that void. We uh, we're covering the state house pretty aggressively when we can. We've also found our way to some of the local issues that we think haven't gotten uh, as wide coverage as they ought to. Uh, there was sort of a, con- a connection between the State House and what was going on in New Bedford recently with a, a dispute over a charter school there that, that we noticed there was not a, a lot of coverage outside of uh, the one paper in New Bedford. And, and so we've been, you know, we've, been, we've been doing what we can, but it's certainly a, a crisis, I think, as, as Ben talks about, and it, it's, uh, it's one that has real implications for the state of our democracy and for the other issues that, uh, that the, the, the Mass Inc. report is talking about, about, about the vitality of, of our local democratic institutions. Thanks, Michael, for reminding us of the important role nonprofit, nonpartisan news organizations are playing in buttressing our democracy. Our donors allow Mass Inc. and Commonwealth to provide independent research and journalism free, with no paywalls or subscription fees. It's a pretty good deal. We appreciate your gift, no matter how small. So please donate now at massinc.org. Support us. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.